0: What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the show. Today, I sat with Amanda Thebe, personal trainer, author, menopause expert. She's got absolutely no filter. I know you guys are going to love her. She recently wrote a book titled Menapocalypse, subtitled How I Learned to Thrive During Menopause and How You Can Too. So we talk a little bit about her book and how she became so passionate about the topic. We talk about how weight loss does or doesn't differ in menopause. You know, how, how slow does my metabolism get? We talk about how it's so important to get good information out there so women know what they're going through is normal. We talk about how to find a good doctor to help guide you through it. We talk about hormone replacement. We talk about what kind of attitude you should go into menopause with. We talk about a lot. Amanda's a gem. I know you guys will love her. I know you're going to love her information and her delivery. Very, very happy to have her on the podcast. Let's get into it. Amanda, how you doing? Nice to have you here. Thanks, Jordan.
1: Great to be here. can't wait to talk to you.
0: That's awesome. Uh, where are you currently located? How are things going with the shutdown and all of that?
1: I'm in Houston, Texas, and, um, you know, Texas wasn't great during this whole pandemic, but it seems to be one of the few states that are actually doing not too bad now. We've had a mask mandate in since March, and, you know, there's still restrictions out there, but it's gorgeous weather. So it's really easy to be outside, and I think that's maybe part of it, you know. And so I had COVID, though, this year, and I was a long-haul um so that's, they're calling them survivors but it just really was a long haul covid and it was terrible 17 weeks of feeling really unwell no way I don't, I, I don't know how i got it and um but really the weather helped me i think like being able to sit outside in the garden and you know get out but i'm perfectly fine now but i'm very cautious <laughs>
0: you think you think it helped from like a mental health standpoint from just like yeah yeah i think that that's what a lot of people i'm just outside of new york city in new Jersey, and that's more of what it is. It's like, what are we going to do for the holidays to stay mentally sane? And a lot of people can't be outside. It's going to be 30 degrees or something like that. So that, that seems like at least mental health wise would be a really nice place to be for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes a huge difference for sure. So, but we don't do Thanksgiving. I'm not very thankful. I'm British. We don't do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As it was coming out of my mouth, I had to double take and I'm like, nah, they probably don't do that. Yeah.
1: We eat turkey, though, so there's that. That's cool. That's
0: fine. (laughs) Awesome. Cool. So, obviously, I've read your book, and I love it. And for everyone listening, it definitely gets my stamp of approval. And like I said this morning, um, if you're a coach or you're a – you know, you coach literally anybody, but a lot of times there is a a wide array, at least for me, of middle-aged women in my client pool. Um, Or you are a female, or you're a man who has a female in your life. Like, you need to know more about this. So – I love the book. I thought it was awesome. I'd love to hear you tell the listeners a little bit about how you became, you know, how you got so into fitness and then maybe how I transitioned over to this topic and a little bit about the book.
1: I mean, I really like that. First of all, before I answer that, that you actually reached out and said you liked the book and could you speak to me? And I was so happy because anytime a male coach reaches out to me i'm like result that's a result in my eyes because it's a topic that's not discussed in the fitness and wellness so in our in our world right so um and yet the majority of our clients are menopausal women Mo- the, like the lion's share of most gyms are going to be women between the ages like late 30s to early 60s and onwards and so we're not serving our client population without understanding this transition. Yeah. And so I obviously I'm in the fitness world and I think I got my personal training certification, maybe I was 21 at Loughborough University in the UK. So I got mine in the UK and then never did it as a job, but I always did it as a, like a passion project. So I did every course out there, probably like you, I've got so many specialties like pre post pregnancy and senior and, you know, rehabilitation and, and nutrition. And I, I, I just love learning about it and find it really fascinating how the body works and really then applying that to myself, like how it helps me understand my own body
0: Is that, because once you get ahead. a
1: handle on that, it's really great. Isn't it knowing how your body functions? anyway so I go into my 40s smuggers fuck honestly I'm like excuse me I don't know if I'm allowed to swear I'm terrible at that you're absolutely allowed
0: to swear the more (laughs) the
1: merrier it comes out without me thinking (laughs) all good and I I, I mean I really did feel a little bit cocky because I felt you know like I was fit and healthy and strong and maybe just like a model for other women my age because I'm very real about myself like I'm a working mom I have two kids one with um, who's on the autism spectrum. You know, I have a husband who works long hours, so I pretty much run the show myself. And so I I think people resonated with, you know, I'm like her. Um, and I also talk about my struggles often as well, but I was just in such a great place. And then around about the age of 42, I started to feel very unwell and I was struggling with symptoms of vertigo, migraines, um, nausea and just generally not feeling well i couldn't really put my finger on it um i saw specialists for two years i either had multiple scans like mri scans cat scans to rule out sort of like brain stuff that was going on and nobody ever got to the root cause of what was going on and finally i went to my gynecologist two years in and he i broke down crying i was like what's going on And he recognized these as symptoms of perimenopause. And I just didn't really truly understand what he was saying because I'd never heard the word perimenopause before. This is eight years ago. And I was confused and said, well, I'm only 42. Why? Aren't you supposed to be older to go through menopause? And so it sort of sent me down that rabbit hole. And it was really interesting for me to like try and work out what was going on. He gave me valid treatment options. And I know you want to talk about that, but it just made me stop feeling like I was going crazy. And um, and then ultimately, I started writing about it, creating communities for women. And then out of my research as well came the book. Because I just feel in the fitness world, it's not spoken about, and it, it's just super helpful to have an understanding of what's happening.
0: Yeah. And as I was listening to you or reading your experience with it, I you said something that really resonated with me, and I think I, I think a lot of people will resonate with, is that when you went to see your doctor and you explained some of the symptoms, and we can talk about the wide array of symptoms and how no two people will experience it the same way, but the fact that he was able to give it a name and you were able to validate how you were feeling, and it wasn't... It wasn't this complex array of like fucking snowstorm of symptoms that made no sense. All of a sudden it was this thing, this biological mechanism that is totally normal and you were going through through something that was normal. It normalized it and almost like you said, sent you down the path of like, okay, this is what I'm dealing with. It's not this crazy, you know, a lot of times we have these, uh, sometimes it's like hypochondriac moments where we think there's like a lot of things going on and we, we don't know, we can't put our finger on what's going on and go to the doctor and they don't know what's going on. This wasn't that. This was someone's like, hey, you're going through something. That's normal, that every woman will go through, and let's work on it. And I feel like, did that was that validation, that naming of it, that thing that gave it a name, was that helpful for you?
1: It was a pivotal point in me taking some type of control and having a handle on everything. So, I mean, prior to that, those two years were definitely spent in isolation, I'm very much a very outgoing person, but I needed to withdraw from social events and just being around people because I wasn't functioning properly. You know, I was on the verge of tears all the time. I had depression, which is another symptom of, I didn't know it was depression though. I just actually thought that this was my new personality and I just actually was a a horrible person to be around. Um, And it was frustrating. And I was literally in a, a pit of despair. And I never shared with anybody because I put so much blame on myself and felt like I was failing. I just, it just didn't make any sense that I was doing everything right. I'd invested all this time and energy in my health, you know, like I, I understood nutrition, I understood the physiology of the body to a really good dis, uh, um, extent, but I was failing. I just actually wasn't getting and um, thriving through the day, and so. That's what I hear lots of women say. And I understand that that's probably the biggest thing is that they're going through these cognitive, mental health, emotional health, and then physical symptoms with no name and no, no conversation, at least they can tangibly say, well, this is, and, and then they can start they like, ch- ch- making some changes, getting some help.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Before you had seen your doctor, where was it that you had gotten any information? Like, what did you know about it? And and did you have friends that you talked about? Did you have a mother that went through it that you talked about it with? Or were you, was it even on your radar of things you thought it might have been?
1: No, not at all. Because um, nobody in those two years of seeing um, specialists, which were neurologists, ear nose and throat doctors gp none of them asked me about my hormonal profile and my periods hadn't changed so there was nothing happening from that perspective that gave me any clues that it might be hormonal so i just didn't even think it was that and i never spoke to anybody about it because i didn't know what i was supposed to say to them i never asked my mom about what was happening in her menopause because i didn't think that that's what it was and the vertigo nausea and um the, like for, I kept losing feeling in my face, numbness and in my hands, all turned out to be migraines, which the neurologist did identify, but we didn't know why I was getting them. But I did get treatment that helped those. And my mom said something along the lines, of, oh yeah, I used to get migraines, but I don't get them anymore. It was a very flippant conversation, but no, there was never any indication that that's what this was. And then my view now is that if we can make this a conversation that happens at the dinner table, like pregnancy will or puberty, anything, you know, if it's a normalized conversation, that it isn't, we're not going into this blinkered. that women aren't going into this really confused. That they can say, you know what, I just jumped on the trampoline and for the first time in my life just peed my pants and it didn't make any sense to me. Uh, why would that happen? Well, let's just pull it back. What else is happening? The good chances are it's your de- decline in estrogen that's like creating these problems for you. And so once you know what it is, yeah, there's there's tons of things you can do to help yourself.
0: I think when I was reading the book, there were two things that that stuck out to me, that there's a, a wide array of lifestyle factors. And I do want to talk about that. And I do want to talk about it in the context of, of fat loss. And think there's a wide array of lifestyle factors from how you handle your nutrition and your stress management and your sleep and your just your general attitude and mindset. But I also think that there are some things that lifestyle can't attack. And I think that there you you made a you made a good distinction and I thought it was powerful of like, hey, there are just some things that that lifestyle factors can't do, that are unique to like hormone replacement. And making that a discussion that you came out and said legitimately like, hey, this is something that people should be looking at and you should be talking about it with your doctor and you should be talking about it with a qualified doctor because there are some things that, yes, there are things in your control from a lifestyle perspective that you can do, but there are also things that those things won't, you know, those things aren't gonna bring your estrogen back. They're not gonna normalize that. And hormone replacement is a legitimate path if you go about it in the right way with the, you know, through the right channels. And so i'd like to talk about that a little bit how what you know what steps can women take for finding a reputable reputable source reputable doctor reputable person to talk about hormone replacement with and what was your experience with that
1: yeah i mean actually my my experience was really positive because as soon as i went to the gynecologist at the age of 44 like two years after my initial symptoms he said to me okay so we know what it is. I can help you. The first thing I can do, offer you is hormone replacement therapy, and it's the first line treatment that we, as gynecologists, um, would like would offer you. And I, are you kidding me? You trying to give me breast cancer? What type of? Uh, this is what I'm. The dialogue in my head. I, no, the I had these old fears in my head that that's what happened, and we know now that that's not the case. But it's just that I wasn't educated in, in the matter. And um, and then he said, well, if you're not comfortable taking that, I can um, help you by prescribing antidepressants, and some of the off-label benefits of those can help you one with your migraines, two with your depression, and some hormone, hormonal um, symptoms like hot flashes and the vasomotor motor symptoms. And so I opted to go on that and it really did help me until I started getting more symptoms that they couldn't help me with. But then by that time I'd gone down that rabbit hole. I knew that hormone therapy was the first line treatment that the North American menopause society recommend. I knew that women who were on hormone therapy, um, live longer than those who don't stay on hormone therapy because estrogen is such a protective hormone in our body. Um, and so I just actively looked for one. And by that time I was in the US um, and I just went to my doctor first of all, and my doctor refused. And then I didn't, wouldn't leave until he gave me it because I said, I know that this is what you need to give me. I also knew doctors weren't educated in menopause management. It doesn't get discussed in medical school at all in gynecology, the OBGYNs, when they go to a medical school, only 20% of those get menopause training. So it's it, there's a big missing gap in the medical community. And so he eventually gave me um, a, a hormonal therapy that I actually didn't want. It was an oral tablet. I wanted a trans, I knew what I wanted and I wasn't gonna leave until I got it. And I, it made me realize how important it is to advocate when you go to your doctors. Um, and then, you know, he wouldn't give me a progesterone. And when a woman has a uterus, she needs to have progesterone with the estrogen. And it's also can be quite helpful as well as a treatment. And And it wasn't a very, it wasn't a very pleasant, experience. But when I got home, there was an email from my doctor saying, I just want to say thank you because I had no idea. I literally went to the North American Menopause Society website. I downloaded their prescription guidelines and they, and he wrote me a prescription. They just don't know often. And so, but the NAMS, the North American um site, will list a whole lot of providers in your area there's a whole bunch of telemedicine organizations now that are filling the gap one of them is genev g-e-n-n-e-v and they do a video conference but they they can write prescriptions that you can fulfill through your insurance and so it's a, it's helpful um and i think we need to remove the stigma and the fear around it because we know that. You know that it can be very, it can be very helpful and life-changing for women. Actually, personally, I'm not on any hormone therapy, which is funny because I'm, I'm an advocate for it. But it isn't for every woman, and that's one of the things like you were saying. It's a very unique um, experience we're going through. It's a shared, a shared process. We're all going to go through. All the women are going to go through menopause if they're lucky. Um, but it's very unique to every woman. I have huge sensitivities to hormones. I always have even when it came to birth control and so i've struggled to find something that works for me and i'm frustrated because i know the benefits of being on it the majority of women do well on it though
0: let's circle back around just super basic very general broad strokes what would the point of hormone replacement therapy be what is happening to one's estrogen going into the perimenopause and during menopause and postmenopause just very generally and then how can hormone replacement maybe mechanistically or just very generally, how does that help or can
1: help? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So perimenopause is the time leading up to menopause, which is what the doctor diagnosed me with and I'd never heard of. And it it now is a word that we use a lot, thankfully, but it's the time leading up to menopause. It can last between eight to 10 years. It can start in your late thirties. And it's the most symptomatic time for a woman in the, in the whole process. Estrogen is declining and so is progesterone. Progesterone falls, uh, I'm doing the slide, in, in a really linear path, but est- estrogen fluctuates down. Um, so it's up and down and all over the place, which, mean, which causes us to have all those different symptoms. Um, and eventually, a woman will come to a time where it's been 12 months since she's had one of her menstrual cycles and she can no longer reproduce. And from that day forward, she is in menopause. So it's almost like a line in the sand. After that, you're considered postmenopausal and you're in that state for the rest of your life. So when you reach menopause, your estrogen and progesterone levels are super low, there's a very low threshold. While the hormones are fluctuating, women benefit from hormone therapy because it sort of evens the playing field a little bit. It stops those fluctuations feeling so drastic and it can almost give a woman a renewed sense of herself again. Um, chronic fatigue is one of the symptoms that really plagues women. And and a lot of women find that when they introduce this micro dose of estrogen, it's tiny and progesterone, it really helps them feel a little bit better, and you often have to change your dose throughout the whole all of those years. And women then may even stay on hormone therapy into their postmenopausal years because one, they may still have some symptoms, which is common, um, and two, it is a protective element that can help us against the fight against cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, Alzheimer's, all of those type of things. So. Um, yeah, it just it just helps, um, I think, for me personally, for a, small, a short period of time and for most women, it just helps them feel like themselves again.
0: So you just kind of wrapping that is like, okay, so your estrogen and progesterone are, 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 are falling somewhat linearly, but along the way, there's a lot of fluctuations. And what yeah. this can do is almost level that out because some of those fluctuations, the act of having fluctuating estrogen from super high, super low is what creates this like clusterfuck of emotions yeah and and symptoms right
1: exactly
0: excellent well put. very yeah. very good i definitely <laughs> well want I, I like you said it's I want, a
1: clusterfuck it's, it's a clusterfuck for Absolutely.
0: sure <laughs> totally i definitely want that to be a conversation that like you said becomes destigmatized and that people can have with their doctors and i think that the, you and i coming from a, like a fitness and nutrition background we kind of want that to also happen with lifestyle interventions with doctors and i want lifting and you know tracking your calories or whatever you do, building ha- good habits. I want that to be something that is spoken about more with your doctor. And I want i want this all, all these things that are about improving quality of life, maybe outside of, and I'm not against conventional medicine. I'm very pro conventional medicine, but, and this is obviously hormone replacement therapy. It falls under that. But I want those conversations to be had with your doctor about what can we do to increase my quality of life? And I'm open to a bunch of options.
1: Well, I I'd just like to quickly add to that before we move on. I couldn't agree more because... You know, we go through birth and pregnancy, even death, and it hurts. It doesn't have to. And so there's medical intervention to to ease the suffering. And it's it's just the same thing. I don't see why women should suffer. And one of the biggest complaints of women is their mental health. And when your mental health is impacted by the decline in um, hormones, your quality of life really suffers. Physical symptoms are horrible and you can sometimes have workarounds to make them feel better. But when you're struggling with depression and anxiety from from menopause, that's a hard one to climb out of. And so don't suffer at all. And then, yeah, like if uh, alongside of those things, there, there are tangible things you can do to improve your health. Definitely. I mean, that's our gig, right? That's where we come from.
0: Absolutely, and you do a great job of going over those in the book. This isn't a hormone replacement book. This is a very comprehensive, here's how to make it suck less. And it's a recognition, honestly, and I'll give you credit because you don't sugarcoat it. And there's a lot of admission of, hey, this is tough and it's gonna affect you in a wide array of symptoms and feelings, And but here's what you can control. And definitely gonna talk about that in a second. I'd like to pivot to like fat loss slash fitness It doesn't necessarily need to be fat loss, but fat loss and fitness, like when you're, maybe you're a coach listening, or maybe you're a female going through your own fitness journey. Like when you are dealing with somebody either in perimenopause or menopause, and you're building a nutritional structure around that, what are the things, do things change? Is there a different protocol? Are there different priorities? Do I need to attack this in a different way? Or are are some very high amount of things very similar and then there are some things that are a little bit different but does that conversation does your approach drastically need to change
1: i think so yes i I, uh, there's a conversation that needs to happen um and what i found when i was going through it before i started research plenty of people out there have written books really try to show how they can fix your menopause you're broken and then doing diet is the will make a difference but the problem is a lot of it is just based on well a lot of these books are just not true and I and I just got really frustrated about all of the misinformation out there and so I what I did is I brought it back to my own education and then I started like trying to build on that to to do exactly what you said what's different Like we, what we know about nutrition science is the science, right? So why we can't change that. We can't change the laws of thermodynamics. We understand energy deficit, but something's, there's a shift, right? There's something happens that makes creating an energy deficit or a calorie deficit, if you want to like dumb it down so much harder. What is it? Right? Because the, the, the stats are against women in menopause. Um, I think it's like in America, nine out of 10 women will gain weight, about 10 pounds in menopause. And it doesn't say where. All of the studies just say in menopause. I would hazard a guess it's likely to be in perimenopause, it starts. Um, and then um, well, globally, it's like 70%, right? So, you know, your chances are you're going to put weight on. I did. And then I also went through that. this isn't fair, I'm doing nothing different, everything is like, I'm a fitness coach, and I still strength train, and I still eat well. But honestly, when I sat back and really looked at what the previous four years were like, I'd spent hours on the sofa in in a pit of despair, I already told you that, I had depression, I was like working out, but I was also eating whatever I wanted just to feel better, right? And, you know, I wasn't tracking calories and like really sort of focusing in on what was the problem and I sort of let myself go to the I actually got to the point where I was like now I just want to pretend it's not happening I know that that's what women go through I hear it all the time right and so after I sort of wallowed in in my in the pig shit for a while I thought right I'm going to come out and I'm going to actually find out you know, what are the hurdles that I'm facing that are making this just so much harder? Like I'm doing all this shit I did when I was twenty. But then when I was thinking back, I was like, God, when I was 20 and I knew I was going on holiday to Corfu, I would spend six weeks eating salad for every meal, starving myself within an inch of my life to get that bikini on. And you know, really what I did was stupid. And so Yeah. So I, so I dug deep and this is what we know. So estrogen is produced in the ovaries, but it's, it, impacts multiple systems in the body. There's interactions with many systems in the body, including it crosses the blood brain barrier, which is why women really struggle with the the cognitive issues and the chronic fatigue. Um, And so when you are in that type of state, it's very hard to think, I've got to go and exercise and I've got to make sure I've got my protein in. blah, blah, blah. Um, We also know that um, estrogen is intrinsically linked with cortisol and insulin some women become insulin resistant through that time our sensitivity definitely changes um and then if we're constantly like not looking at that but feeding you know the insulin problem that can be an issue cortisol is also um linked with estrogen so not managing our stress and then unable being unable to sleep we know are linked with fat gain right we we understand that um, and then, um, in addition to that, uh, ghrelin and leptin, our hunger hormones, they are also impacted. So women, like, will say, "I'm always hungry, and I could just eat and eat and eat, and never stop." Well, if your hunger hormones are not sending those neurotransmitters back and forth, saying "Stop eating now, you're full," <laughs> you're just going to keep eating, and um, and so. And then there's other things that sort of happen as well, you know, become more bloated and there's lots of water retention. And then es- essentially as well, our fat deposits change. I mean, the decline in estrogen actually makes us metabolize fat differently. And it starts to move from like the, our pear shape. Like I was always a pe- like a pear shape and, and then it goes straight to the belly. And women are like, oh my God, I'm so fat. And some of the time they haven't put weight on, but they've just changed shape completely. So there's so much going on. Um, and there is a, a metabolic shift as well, for sure, right so we know with aging the meta- metabolism changes, and that's accelerated a little bit through menopause. but honestly, when we look at me- metabolic rates and the, ty- the the amount of change it makes, it's usually quite insignificant compared to other things right we know it's probably like a cookie a day or something right It's not, it's not the big, it's not the main reason, not at all and so um so, so you've got these, these obstacles that are making it a little bit harder for you. You're probably not moving as much. You're probably not being hyper-focused on your food. And then you're in a position where you're just like, oh, fuck it, I can't be bothered to do anything about this now. And all of those things added together, as well as your stress and your symptoms, make this an imperfect situation for losing weight. But we do know that losing weight is possible. I, I did it. Many people did it. Um, I found it easier to lose weight when I was in menopause, in fairness, when the fluctuations died down a bit, but here's what we do know. We do know that protein intake increases with age, obviously, but also with menopause. And so women need to really focus on eating protein at most meals, which can be hard for women. A lot of women don't like eating protein. We are carb lovers. (laughs) Carbs are important too. But um, increasing our protein intake is important because muscle protein synthesis is disrupted in perimenopause and menopause. And that essentially means it's much harder to um, gain muscle and it's harder to build muscle. So you need the adequate protein to do that. So, you know, we've got a multiple amount of things happening. Um, And then in addition to that, as far as the exercise needs are concerned, you know, when you're, when a woman is in perimenopause and she's um, struggling with the chronic fatigue, cortisol levels are high and she's maybe used to doing all of this running and, and cardio, like endurance type, um, sports, we, it puts a woman in a, more of a catabolic state and it's really hard to recover from. And there's a lot of women go through menopause and they've said, I've had to stop running because I would lie on the bed for days afterwards, just exhausted and being able to carry on. Um, and even like doing a hit class might be just too much for me. And, and I think it's really important to honor your body and recognize that the, your, it's actually trying to tell you something. Stop running then. If running makes you feel like crap, stop running. If you like running, then maybe like change it up, have a, a, like a bit of a flexible shift. Maybe do a walk run, do stuff that your body just doesn't feel so depleted that you don't want to do it again. Nobody exercises to be miserable. We exercise to feel better, right? Strength training is super, uh, hyper important as we age, more so through menopause to help with building and maintaining lean muscle. Um, to help against the fight against osteoporosis, to help with some menopausal symptoms, some um, that vasomotor symptoms like hot flashes, night sweats can be reduced with strength training. It's just better for us for our from our overall health perspective. Um, and then, um, you know, so they're, the, my, they're my two big takeaways that I, that I got from it. And then the third one being to actively seek out recovery days.
0: Love that. That's awesome. I totally, that that last part, I'd love to scream from the rooftops is like, make sure that you're not doing, you're not going through perimenopause, menopause also in conjunction with overtraining and under-recovering. I think that that's a terrible, uh, just like a combination from hell.
1: The recovery side is really hard for athletes or for anyone in the industry. And maybe you um, attract a lot of people who are sort of like in that mold. And so you're saying to them, you can come and work out with me, but you know, tomorrow you're not going to do anything go for a walk. And it's like, I'd be like, no, I don't want to, I want to, I want to do something, but it was counterproductive, for for recovery and just for feeling well. So I had to really change the way I approached exercise and, um, like it de- definitely changed anywhere in in postmenopause, it just seems to come back. I feel like I'm back to a, a different perspective about exercise. Like the the recovery is still hyper important, but it was super important through perimenopause when the symptoms were just wrecking people's body and our stress levels are so high and there's so many great ways of doing it you don't have to sit and meditate like gandhi in the garden right we're not telling you to like do that but you can go for a swim go for a walk like just get outside in nature like yeah it doesn't have to be complex
0: and you give a lot of those examples in the book and maybe just like ways to figure out what's best for you when i think about after reading the book and and when i think about fat loss or just fitness in general when it comes to menopause i think of it's the same game, but a harder level. and your and your hormones are absolutely uh, 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 making things harder. But you know, does your BMR change? Yes. Does your metabolic rate go down? Yes. Does it go by, does, it, does it go by, down by enough that where that is independently what makes it hard? No, It's harder for a whole host of other reasons. It's harder because it's harder. It's not harder because the rules change. And we see that that lower BMR is usually mostly from a, a drop in lean body mass. Listen, BMR goes down almost linearly with age. But independent in that perimenopause, menopause uh, time, you see a little bit more increase of that. And usually what that's coming from is a decrease in lean body mass, which circles back around to what you had said about the importance of protein and building muscle and having muscle and weight training. Like that is one of the ways you can fight that independent drop in metabolism. And also we see that NEAT goes down. So we see that people, move, like you said, you you if you do a real audit of your actions, you look back and you're like, yeah, man, I've been sitting on the couch a lot more. And I've been wallowing my, in my self-pity or whatever it is. I've been eating more and I've been using food as comfort. And you look back and you're like, man, I'm probably not as active as I was. And so there are still things you can do. You can fight that drop in lean body mass and thus BMR by lifting weights and eating adequate protein. And you can Fight that decrease in meat that might be happening for a whole host of other reasons, right? You, the reasons you might be moving less is, is is multifactorial, but you can fight that with some manual override of maybe you're using a fitness tracker or you're going for a certain amount of walks per day. I think it's the same game, but it's a harder level. And and you also have to take into account, and you did a great job of this in the book, is like acknowledging that what you're also going through environmentally in your in in like middle age where you are the middle generation. I found that to be super important for people to hear. I mean, you at that age, in that age bracket are going through things that you have never had to go through before. You have parents who you're probably taking care of. You have kids who are growing up and you're also still taking care of. And combine that with this shitstorm of fluctuating estrogen and and hot flashes and and migraines and low motivation to move. And it it is a lot and it's something that really needs to be spoken about more so people take more action. And that's what I want the the podcast to be. I want it to be something where someone listens to this and thinks, oh my God, I'm feeling some of that. I need to be proactive and, and take care of this.
1: Yeah and it's so great like you you're really good at like summarizing everything i'm saying and and i i couldn't um couldn't have put it better myself and i think that you know what happens is um just adding on to that is that women feel well we know that they lose belief in themselves we know that like there's a, it's a big time in our lives but it's such a massive change There's such a lot being thrown at us we're already wearing multiple hats we've got too many balls in the air we're, and and then the last person we're going to look after ourselves is my ourselves only yesterday somebody texted me and said i'm dying to read your book but i haven't got time because my kids having a breakdown and i have to put him first and i'm not and i was like whoa you know what you need to do you actually need to put you first it's really simple you, you can start doing really small actions every day because when you're feeling better, everybody else around you benefits anyway. But like, it's it's a super important time in our lives to start building up trust in ourselves, start believing in our um, our athletic ability, which dies down, start having more confidence. Because I just believe that menopause, even though it's hard, is a gift to us. Because when you start start seeing the light at the other side, you've been through a really hard experience that is life-changing and it can fill you full of wisdom it can it can propel you forward when i look at ceos of businesses now there's a high majority of them now are women through menopause because it's almost like they've been given a new lease of life and so it's always really important to bring it back to the fact that yes there are small things you can do how you approach it from a mindset perspective really matters um, and and there is light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, that's the main thing, right?
0: Awesome. And I agree. I think that that you. I think you had quoted this, or somebody said it. That that we to me attitude, where instead of taking care of everybody else, it's kind of putting your oxygen mask on first, which is a quote I've said a gazillion times, which I think is super yeah. important. It's one of those pieces of advice that goes underutilized, and and it's said every day, and people hear it every day, but it's hard to put into practice. And maybe it's hard for some of those reasons like we talked about where you are looking up at your at your parents and you feel you need to play a nurturing role or you're looking down at your kids and you feel like you need to be playing a nurturing role. But the recognition that you will show up in your life better for those people, if you're doing what you need to do to make sure you're in a good headspace, mental health is in check, physical health is in check, you will do better. You will be better, a better mother, better, better, uh, a spouse, better spouse, uh, a better daughter, whatever it is, um, if you take care of yourself first. Now, it doesn't mean... Blowing off every other responsibility in your life, but it does mean you know inching yourself up your own priority list so that it's in the top you know top two things that you're dealing with because I think that very often, and I do deal with a lot of middle-aged women or just at least women with kids, and there's a total uh, um, just moving themselves to the bottom of the priority list, and it's very it's very selfless, um, and it's there's part of that that is unbelievably admirable. Um, I I live with my my girlfriend actually who that is like one of her qualities she's an EMT and it's it's a wonderful quality and that's why she's so good at what she does but there's also a time to check yourself and saying is this stopping me from being my best version of myself am I being so selfless and is that my I'm not calling anyone out but is that my excuse sometimes subconsciously to not take care of the things I know I need to take care of to make me feel really good like do you I want women and everybody listening to not feel guilty if they need to do something for themselves know that you're doing that also for other people because you will show up in a much better way.
1: It's our curse as women. I think we're natural born carers, like you said, your, your girlfriend is. and uh, But that ultimately leads to burnout. There's only so much giving you can do without like exhausting yourself. And I think that, you know, when I'd heard the term like self-care, when it started going about, it sort of made me want to puke a little bit, you know, it's just like, ugh, whatever. It's really, for me, more about self-care Preservation, and interestingly enough, I you know I didn't learn this by accident. I spent a lot of time work like speaking to therapists and professionals, and just um, researching like for the book, and then applying it. It's not easy. It's really hard to sort of take time out, but it's interesting. We're through. We're in a pandemic, and I'm at home with my husband and two kids. I get up in the morning. We all have breakfast then i go and sit outside in the garden i told you i'm in texas so the weather's nice year-round and i spend probably half an hour out there just hanging out on my own nobody's ever said why does she do that why does my mom always go outside on her own and not talk to anyone like they don't care you know like it's just and it actually is one of the things that it's grounding for me I sort of just do do a little bit of breathing and I just sort of plan my day and just try and calm the F down, you know, try and put, yeah.
0: Yep. Absolutely agree. I think of, I think of, uh, somebody who's coming to me and, or you, or just somebody figuratively and they're looking for a mindset or an attitude or a way way to go about thinking about going at menopause. And I think not to, I want to hear what you have to say, but I think there's a component of controlling what you can and letting go of what you can't and, what are some of those things? Like, what is the, I know it's a loaded question, but like, how would you describe the attitude you'd want someone to go at menopause with?
1: It's a great question. And I actually had to dig deep in the book when I wrote this chapter, but it ended up being my favorite chapter and it's called shift happens. I actually saw that on a billboard one day I was driving and it said shift happens. And I was like, I have to use that. because it that. just yeah, yeah. It's, it, awesome. it's good. Um, you know, where we live in a really ageist society. And we live in a society where middle-aged women are not represented. When you you Google stock photography for menopause or midlife, it's usually, and especially in the fitness world, it's usually a gray-haired old lady sat on a chair with a resistance band. It's very frustrating. None of them look like me and I don't feel represented. And when I do, it's usually somebody targeting me with um, wrinkle cream or something oh, no. to dye my gray hairs and stuff. And, you know, when getting old isn't easy for for a woman, I don't think. And I actually haven't like gone into it as, as gracefully as I wanted to. Like I've hated the fact I've got wrinkles or gray hair and maybe a bit softer in the tummy and stuff. But it, so it's took work for me to 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 shift that attitude. I mean, I, I'm very honest about it not coming easily, but it can happen and it can happen in, an, in a number of ways and it's really about changing that internal dialogue about what aging and what your menopause transition is going to look like from you first thing is you've got, you've got to stop hating yourself women are the worst when i i have a community group on facebook and i listen to the things that women say and they genuinely feel it they're like i can't look in the mirror at myself i hate the way i look i'm a, it's disgraceful you know i'm embarrassed to to wear these clothes cuz and and it's just on and on and on and i know that sounds super negative but they at least they're sharing at least they're like then getting validation from other women to say that you're not alone but here's how we can forge forward. And one of the first things we can do is like I do every day, have my coffee is be present. I talk in the book about like how like I'm 50 now and life's passed me by and there's some things I can't remember. Like my first child, I have two boys, my first boy, I remember everything I did with him, everything. And my second boy just came along for the ride. I've missed, I miss like <laughs> this, like imagine being there, like the baby in the family, you don't remember anything because they're just dragged along by like the blanket. Right. That's and, awesome. and, and, and I sort of miss the fact that I lost that opportunity to, to really be in the moment. And so this is where like this, like being still being grounded, being, being mindful can really help. And, Like, like I said, it's not exotic or woo woo. It's literally just being, bringing things back to now. Like what's today going to look like? How do I feel? What's the best thing I can do for myself? Like sort of right now. And, and it just adds a sense of calm and it slows you down. And it's a really important part of the process to me because when you're feeling exhausted and symptomatic and, and really down on yourself by just taking that little bit of time for yourself it really just gives yourself some grace and it feels good and we've seen um this type of mindfulness and practice actually change people's um prefrontal cortex on mri scans you can actually change the way your brain functions which i think is fantastic so if you know your executive functioning and your mood and your decision making even your impulse control can sort of be calmed down by doing this one thing every day then it's a no-brainer for me and um And just like, once you're there, then like deciding how you're gonna go forward. So once you're in like, and you're happy with like where you are presently, like, so for this was to me the light bulb moment in the whole process was when I started, I focused on values and strengths. And there's a part of the book where I advise, I show people the websites to go to, these are psychological methods that can help women just well anyone actually not women obviously the books for women but they can help anyone just get you on the right path stop you taking these little detours that are not helpful so your values aren't goals it's just the way you choose to sort of like run your life and and the things that you the things that matter to you and so like so for me um my um my values were People, passion, nurture, health, and excitement, right? They're all like words and values that matter to me. And it makes sense to me because I am very much a people person and I do get excited and passionate about, um, things I talk about as long as it's helpful. The nurturing, the nurturing side, and so when you understand your like, sort of your personality and your and your values, then decisions are easy. You can say no to the stuff that doesn't suit your values. It happens to me all the time, especially now that maybe I've got a sort of a name, I get thrown all sorts of things. Do this? Would you sell this product? And I'm like, nope, 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 because it doesn't suit my values at all. And and it really me helps you remain true to yourself. And then the, and the second part of that is working with um, your strengths. And your strengths are actually the real soul of your character. And mine was curiosity. My top strength was curiosity, followed by, by kindness. And I was like, why? I'm not that curious. But in a psychological term, that means being interested in a topic, then going deep down a rabbit hole, coming out the other side with information and then sharing it to help other people, which is exactly what my personality is. And then knowing that about me, I already live my life based on my values, working with my strengths. It just means that like, I'm, I, I'm really happy about how I go forward with things now. Like it stopped me worrying about how I look and my wrinkles and my gray hair. And it's just given me a real sense of purpose. And I think that that's what's lost in a lot of women is that sense of purpose. I, I recommend everyone try it because it's such a curious test to do. And it actually just adds real value to your life.
0: Do you think it directed you towards things that brought you joy and at the same time diverted you away from things that were like soul and happiness sucking from your life?
1: Yeah, and you know, social media is a, a really good example of that because I mean, I've obviously read about the negative aspects of social media, and I have an Instagram account like you as well, and Facebook. And um, during the summer, I was I sat down and I just thought, I'm posting things on Instagram because I feel like I should. I'd, I don't really want to, and I'm and I'm feeling like it's a chore, and it doesn't it doesn't serve me anymore. So I just stopped, and then people were like texting me, going, Are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm actually better than okay. I'm actually really good. And it was just a sense of relief. When the book came out, I knew I had to obviously sort of like do a little bit more on that. And it felt like the right time again. It was all based on my, like a decision based on what felt appropriate in alignment with my values and my strengths. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm. Chances are, I'll probably disappear again for a while, and I think that it just is. Um, it just just helps, like you said, steer you to make better choices in your life.
0: Absolutely. I'm I, I'm thinking back to the original question was like, what attitude are we going into menopause with? And I think, as you were saying, I was taking some notes and I was thinking, start putting yourself first. Uh, recognize that going through menopause is a blessing. With sa- which sounds a little woo woo. Nobody wants to hear that, but like. <laughs> Getting to that point in your life is a not everybody gets there, and be be blessed that you did, and you are like you're healthy enough to bitch about not feeling healthy, um, and so that 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 is something that it's probably hard to internalize, but hopefully there's some part of you that's feeling grateful for having made it. Um, you've been through a lot, you've probably gone through a lot of life changes, you have you've accomplished a lot, conquered a lot, um, and then the recognition that there's still a lot that is in your control, and that while there are some things that aren't, I think the attitude you'd want to go into it with is recognizing that there is a lot of things in your control and then a lot of what you had just said which i loved which was taking time for yourself and establishing some of those like core values and strength that will guide you towards more of the things that make you fulfilled and feeling really happy i think that those are some wonderful things i i I love that
1: yeah like setting those boundaries like really make decision making so much easier and none of this comes like came to me super easily either and like in the book the second heart of the book part of the book is based is a solutions based um component like the first part is the the why and the what and the second part is the how and I'm not like saying you have to eat this and you have to exercise like this and you have to think like this what I'm saying is this is what worked for me this is what the research shows this is what we know to be helpful um, in menopause midlife and aging why don't you try one of these things for a month or two and see if it changes your blows your mind like because it's so unique like what I just said may may resonate with many people but other women might think well actually I feel quite good about how I'm forging forward but what I do need to know is how to manage my stress say or something and so so I think it like for me like it changes and you have to be sort of like flexible and just always come back to what matters always bring it back to like the like the basics. I always think the simple stuff works. I think that we overcomplicate life. I'm all about what's the most effective thing we can do in the easiest way possible. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Low hanging fruit. Yeah. Low hanging fruit.
1: Yeah. For sure.
0: for sure. So I want to be respectful of your time, but I wanted to, I kind of wanted to just close on this question of what, what, what's the information landscape like for women? I mean, like we had touched upon it briefly. Um, but it's still something that I want to break down a little bit. It's like, why is it so hard to find this reputable actually helpful information like what are what are the more not your book your book is wonderful your book puts it in a way that's digestible and real and doesn't sugarcoat it why is that not more of what we're talking about why are we dancing around the the subject
1: yeah, it was i mean i really struggled eight years ago to find anything anything at all that was helpful to me i either found like i once i knew it was menopause i went on amazon i found a whole lot of books that were flippant and like too funny and almost like dismissive in its humor or medical Text that were just I my brain didn't want to cope with words I needed words to be easy um, and then even the North American Menopause Society website and the British Menopause Society website would I felt were just exhausting like I really struggled to sort of absorb it but there still wasn't it I still didn't recognize myself in like the medical literature and I realized that there was a, a like a missing gap there tried to speak to my mum about it she was like oh I can't really remember now it's such a long time ago so I think that what's happened is it's a taboo subject of old I don't think it is as much now but we have a whole generation of women that never spoke about it we have a whole education system that doesn't talk about it in schools at all there's no conversation about menopause yet it's one of the natural life cycles but we don't it's missing in the UK now, it's part of the curriculum because they have a massive movement over there to make things change. We have a medical um, community that doesn't talk about it, doesn't know about it, dismisses us with antidepressants and just tells us to get on with it. So there's so many fragmented, broken areas that I I think that like we need to do a lot of work to build the awareness, but it's definitely changing. Europe and the UK have just, it's in the news all the time. I was even published in one of the big um, national newspapers. I had a two-page spread in there and I was like, They're des- women are desperate to hear about this. And it's slowly filtering in the conversation here. And to me, the only way that changes is not just with people like me writing books, but women being very honest, being honest with their partners, with their children, with their friends, and just talking about what's going on and not being ashamed about it. And 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 that ripple will will expand and it will it will change. I think the next generation that comes along will have it easier because we'll have data out there. As far as the fitness world's concerned, um we definitely we definitely need something in there. I feel like there's a gap that doesn't recognize us. And I don't know if that's just historical and I'm tired of hearing like male, older male coaches who are in our influence saying, oh yeah, women just need to carry on the same as men. Well, in some parts th- that's true, but they're missing a big part of the picture. So it's people like you that are going to change the fitness world because you're desperate to help your, co- your clients and you're desperate to learn more. So yeah, I think it's just um, historic, That's why there's a gap in information, but I think that we we all can change that.
0: Yeah, so I think that that goes for a lot of different industries where you have a very scientifically driven monologue or dialogue of words and things that people aren't, it's not that they can't comprehend it, it's that they don't have the intellectual capacity or the emotional capacity to take on understanding the vast physiology and the endocrinology. And we need somebody like you to kind of bridge that gap and be real about how potentially uh, all of the symptoms and how it does... It, it is difficult, even with your best efforts. And it is going to be not your the, the most fun roses and fucking daisies and prancing through the field. And it's not going to be that. But it's also not this boring fucking snooze fest of of science and physiology. It doesn't need to be that. And there needs to be some middle ground where you do understand what's going on in your body and you understand how some of the things that you're doing can affect that. But it also doesn't need to be so unbelievably complex that it bores you to sleep. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes. I know one of the comments I do get from women is like, and this is the, the ultimate purpose of the book was that it was almost like a handbook, is that they go through and underline stuff, post-it notes in. It's a book you're going to pick up and put down all the time.
0: Excellent, awesome. I definitely felt that as well, and I know that there will be a number of people that receive this for uh, the holidays. So it's going to be oh, a really perfect, it's yeah, a really it's great the perf- gift, yeah. the perfect
1: Christmas present, giving a woman a menopause
0: book. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Now that you said that, I'm, I'm imagining those moments. I think it needs to be followed up by like a really great gift. It's like here's this,
1: but I love you. Plus yeah, this I love you, and you're awesome. Or this
0: wad of cash. Here you go. Both, you know. kind of sugarcoat that for sure that's awesome that's funny wonderful amanda i appreciate you coming on you've been absolutely wonderful i know everybody's gonna love this podcast can you just tell everybody where they can find you where is your best information obviously everyone should go out and buy the book but where can they find you i know you just said you hopped off of instagram so maybe somewhere else and uh oh
1: no i'm on instagram right now i'm like totally slutting myself out there so um but the um um, i have a website called fit and chip so it's f-i-t-n chips fit and That's you can neat. get to my um instagram facebook you can buy books there oh, everything's there it's just go to one place yeah
0: excellent it's a wonderful name by the way amazing very jealous of no, that yeah. <laughs> it. it's
1: awesome. <laughs> my kids my kids made it up like they were like i'm all about balance right what's yeah. the point of having fitness if you can't have the chips agreed
0: 100 right? yeah. all right guys thank you guys for listening and i will see you all in the next episode have a good one Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Where Optimal Meets Practical. If you enjoyed it, if you found value, do me a favor and take a screenshot of your phone and post it to your social media. If you do, tag me so I can say thanks. If you ever want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at Jordan Lips Fitness on Instagram or you can email me jordanlips at com, or check out the website jordanlipsfitness.com. I'd love to chat. Have a great day.